Though touted as perhaps the best in the world, the American medical system is filled with hypocrisies. Our healthcare is staggeringly expensive, yet one in six Americans has no health insurance. We have some of the, the most skilled physicians in the world, yet 100,000 patients die each year for medical errors. Going beyond sick care requires informed and empowered patients. This is achievable through price transparency and unbiased quality care that meets both public and private health insurance regulations. This podcast aims to explore the intricacies of quality patient care through thought-provoking conversations with providers, healthcare executives, corporate CEOs, technologists, and patients. We'll also seek to provide you with simplified actionable paths to feeling good and living well. Episode 13 of The Empowered Patients, Increasing Access to Care for Communities of Color with Rachel Sherman, who is an um, and who's an MP and also um, and is a board certified family nurse practitioner. So Rachel, welcome to the show. Can you give us a little bit, a little bit more about your background? Sure. Um, so I am a family nurse practitioner, uh, born and raised in Washington, D.C. So happy to be um, providing care in the community that I grew up in. Uh, initially graduated with my bachelor's from Trinity Washington University. So my bachelor's in nursing started my nursing career at Georgetown University Hospital. Um, and then from there, really got uh, interested and involved with community-based hospice nursing. Um, went back for my master's, completed my family nurse practitioner program. So I've been practicing for going on, uh, going on three years now as a family nurse practitioner, really focusing um, in the areas of acute pain, palliative care, and then concierge primary care. Um, I'm always out in the community. I have two children. And if I'm not out in the community, serving the community, I'm out running around with my children or my husband. Um, so definitely excited again, to be providing care in the community that I grew up in. Amazing. So we, we wanted to dispel, dispel a few myths about the word concierge, right? Yes. But sometimes it comes up a lot, um, in this field that we're in, in, the healthcare field, concierge can be, what is concierge to you? So concierge to me is the concept of bringing care to you. So like, like we have our concierge vehicle or car service where they bring the, the car to you or clothing service. So my thought in mind is bringing healthcare to the patient, whether it's at their job, in the community, at their home. Um, it's not something that means it's not affordable um, or only for a select few. Anybody in the, the metropolitan area can qualify for concierge primary care through my company. And that, that's been a, a slight battle because a lot of people think, oh, I can't afford concierge medicine. And, and truly that's really not the case. Um, so concierge really truly is care care close to home. Correct. Really care close to home, and in that in that regard, it really is well. If, as far as the we also in the in, in healthcare, we know about the direct direct primary care model, the DPC, which is in a nutshell is is really being able to take care of patients. Sometimes it's a mixed model. Sometimes the patient pays directly to the clinician um, on a monthly basis, and sometimes it, it is a it is instead of direct. If you, you can do a direct pay, sometimes some some clinician. So it's not only a direct primary direct pay where you pay directly to the clinician, but you also can use your insurance as well. Some 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 clinicians do both. Half insurance, have um, direct pay, and you pay on a monthly basis. But then. They, they, the clinician is incentivized to be able to get, um, find the best alternative way to care for you. That is, you can get cheaper, cheaper medicine, discounted, discounted medicine. Um, and is that, is that, is that just about the right where you, some of the clinicians are incentivized then like clinicians like yourself are incentivized to go around finding better efficient, efficient services and, um, pharmaceutical for, pa for patients. That's, is that correct? Yes. So I, I do that actually a, a lot um, because I'm not bound by a um, 
um, it's it's like a formulary. So every insurance company may have a formulary for what medicine they'll cover or um, who they can go to to have lab work or imaging done. In the concierge practice, I often call around um, to find out what my community resources are um, for lowest medication um, prices or lowest radiology imaging prices, um, free diabetes education classes or free exercise programs, free smoking cessation programs. Because the reality of it is majority of my patient population is low to no income. Um, And cost can mean the difference between whether or not they're going to take a medication or they're going to eat. And I have to consider those things when I'm prescribing or recommending testing and treatment. And that's so cognitive. That's so cognitive of, of, a, of a clinician because now it's like, I have to put my, you guys are real, literally put, putting yourself in the shoes of the patient that this patient may not show up to see me because they do not, they can't afford, they can't afford the, the price of the care. Yes. Um, it's, it's taking a step further that I have to be cognitive of how the patient is feeling, how can I be able to provide them the best care at the best price, correct? Right, right. So what has been the challenge walking in? Um, and as well, some people consider challenge, other people may consider opportunity. What has been the challenge walking in communities of color? So one of the biggest challenges that I have faced in communities of color is actually gaining the trust of the community, especially as a healthcare provider. Um, Now, me being a person of color, um, it's still a challenge. Um, I find that communities of color aren't always trusting of the medical information that's published. Sometimes they may be slightly suspicious um, about the information published or how we treat communities of color. And this goes into policies and protocols and guidelines that we have. Take, for instance, the guideline for the treatment of hypertension. African-Americans have a, spe- they have a special guideline for how clinicians should treat blood pressure in them versus the rest of the population. And these are just things that make communities of color a little more suspicious that the challenge has been going in and and gaining their trust. And I find the best way to do this is to come in and let them know, like, I see you as a person. You're not just a section in my guideline. When I do my initial consultations, I want to know about the person. Where did you grow up? How many children do you have? What do you enjoy doing? These, these are the questions I ask about their psych social status before we even get into the medical status. And it oftentimes shows them that I, I'm there for them as a whole person and not just I'm here to do your physical. Um, and once you gain that trust, the other issue that you that I may encounter or I encounter often is gaining the trust and recognition of the cl- other clinicians and other healthcare organizations. Um, so I may call a subspecialist because they're the kidney doctor for my patient or or heart doctor for my patient and getting them to actually take me serious about their care. Um, Because I may call and say, your, your patient's not taking their blood pressure medicine because they can't afford it. And they seem that it see that as time consuming, but ultimately your patient outcome is going to be negative if we cannot get the medications that they can afford to take every day. So those are just some of the challenges that we face. Um, accessibility is another challenge. If I'm going into a building, is it safe to go into that building? Some of the communities are not the safest. So I limit, I have to limit my visits to daytime hours only where someone may work and they can only be seen after, after hours. Um, and we're trying to get very creative and making care a little more accessible in those types of communities. So these are the these are challenges, but I'm sure there's been ways. So in terms of you gaining trust, right? How have you been able to gain trust um, in within the communities communities of color? That's one question. And then additional to that follow up question is, 
when when you're when you in this case of a hypertension mm-hmm. how what are the what are the distinct differences between a patient that is a power versus a patient that is not uh, being treated what are the things that they, they the clinician normally look for versus ones that uh patient of of not that is that is not of color um you look right for. so in in gaining the trust i've noticed that my presence my consistency and my sincerity have been the key factors in me gaining the trust of both the patients and community clinicians. The more they see me, um, the more consistent I am um, with, if a doctor knows that I'm going to call them for every patient I see, if they're not taking their medicines, then they're going to know I'm I'm consistently present with their patient and consistently involved in increasing their healthcare outcomes or improving them. And same with the patient. I'm not just going to be a clinician that tells you I'll see you in six months. I'll often call you and follow up. How are things going? Did you get the medicine? Do you have any questions? How are you feeling? Um, And actually being sincere. I really care about my patients. I really care about my community. So I feel like those three things when people see them in a clinician and not just myself, they tend to take you a lot more serious um, as a clinician, especially as a community-based clinician. Um, And then in terms of hypertension, so the guidelines typically recommend that African-Americans, the first line of drug therapy for them are either calcium channel blocker or an ACE inhibitor. So an ACE inhibitor is protective of the kidney. And what we know about African-Americans or persons of color is that they are more likely to have renal damage from uncontrolled hypertension. Um, If you've ever had the opportunity to look at a lab, you'll notice one lab that reports as such. It'll say GFR um, for African-Americans and GFR for non-African-Americans. So even the way that we kidney function And African-Americans is different because it it appears as though hypertension can have more of a detrimental effect on African-Americans and specifically their kidneys than of other populations. So when the AHA or the American Heart Association guideline came out, um, which they recently updated within the last couple of years, they recommended that the first line of drug treatment for African-Americans be one that is more protective of the kidneys. Um, and some African American, some communities of color, they're they're people. We're uh, we're progressing, so our patients are they're becoming smarter and they're becoming more aware. Um, and and believe it or not, there are times I'll walk into a home and they'll ask a question: Why is it they're recommending that I be treated different than the rest of the population? Um, and it's not a surprising question to me anymore. The more that people are reading about. And we have to be prepared to answer those questions. Now, some clinicians may potentially say, well, that's just the guideline. Um, But when you actually break it down in terms that make sense, we've noticed that your African-Americans' kidneys are more likely to be damaged due to uncontrolled hypertension. And this is why we go this route. Communities of color may seem a little more accepting of having a different medication versus another population versus being suspicious. Like, are they intentionally trying to harm me? Is that why I'm being treated differently? Mm. So is it, is it, is it mainly the, do, the dosage level? No. So it's, um, the, it's the actual type of drug. So to treat hypertension, we have a, a couple of different drugs. We have beta blockers that block beta cells. Um, we have calcium channel blockers that affect the way that calcium flows in and out of cells. We have ACE inhibitors that um, protect the kidney. So there, there are different types of drug classes. And for persons of, of not of color, the AHA recommends that you can use any, any drug to initially treat them. But for African-Americans, they recommend drugs that are protective of the kidneys. So um, you have um, uh, diuretics, right? So diuretics control blood pressure by pulling fluid off. 
of the person. So having them urinate fluid off. Um, slightly protective of the kidney, but not as much as an ACE inhibitor. So I, they recommend me giving an ACE inhibitor protect, to protect the kidney to an African-American initially versus a diuretic, which I could prescribe to a person who's not of color. Makes sense. So what are the, so for each, each medicine, walk, walk me through what are the effects and side effects of each, each medication okay. for, not, for communities of color and versus non-communities of color? So um, for community of color... Say, say I come in as a patient. I have, I've been diagnosed with hypertension. Mm -hmm. You heard a listing of those medications for me. Okay. What are the, what are the, 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 the pros and cons of those medications? So for a person of color that comes into the clinic or I'm, I'm seeing them in their home and, and we're ready to diagnose hypertension, we have enough readings to do so. If this is a person of color, first thing I'm going to ask is if they have any allergies um, to make sure that they can have the appropriate uh, medication. So first drug of choice is usually something called like lisinopril or benalopril. Um, the prills are ACE inhibitors. So they help to protect the kidney. We see a big side effect of those, um, which is called angioedema. It is a life-threatening side effect. Um, and we have to be careful with screening patients for that. That's when we see the swelling of the lips and tongue. And unfortunately, because this is one of the first-line medicines of African-Americans with hypertension, we're seeing angioedema uh, as a side effect in more African-Americans because that's what we prescribe essentially first. Um, Calcium channel blockers. One of the big side effects, so they're really good for controlling blood pressure, but one of the big side effects that we see for calcium channel blockers is um, mild lower extremity edema. So your lower legs, feet may become a little swollen because of this medicine, um, which can be counterintuitive if we're trying to treat your blood pressure, but now all of a sudden you can't be as active because your legs and feet are swollen you know, that's a side effect that we have to be aware of. All blood pressure medicines carry the side effect of lightheadedness and dizziness, especially when we first start them. Or if a patient's been on them and they, you know, make a sudden movement going from lying down to sitting to standing. So we always tell them to be careful. And that's for any blood pressure medicine. Um, beta blockers. So these are medicines that end in LOL. So metoprolol, propanolol. These work by, um, they, they slow the heart down, but they essentially affect how it beats. Um, so it's, it's more of an efficient beat, but your heart rate isn't as high. Um, and that's one of the ways that we can control blood pressure. Again, one of the side effects could be you have a really low heart rate, which makes you more likely to be lightheaded or dizzy or have, um, syncopal episodes or essentially passing out, um, we have ARBs, which are similar to ACE inhibitors, um, like Valsartan. And that's one that's been in the news lately uh, because they link that to potentially being a carcinogenic. So having some relation to cancer. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily believe it was the drug itself, but it sounded like it was what was used to bind the drug together. That was a carcinogen. But that also helps to protect the kidney but is not recommended as a first line of defense for Af uh, African-Americans for um, hypertension. And then we have diuretics. Um, diuretics range from mild to really strong. So we have hydrochlorothiazide all the way up to um, Bumex or Lasix. And the, these, these are good drugs. Um, they're good drugs, especially for our patients that have some mild heart failure. And we know with heart failure, the heart's not pumping as well, and we're not moving fluid out of the body as well. Um, one of the side effects of diuretics is they can cause you to lose potassium, certain diuretics, so we can have a little bit of a, an electrolyte imbalance. Um, dehydration. And then for our patients who don't have really good renal function, sometimes the kidneys do not like diuretics. Diuretics are essentially a pill that squeezes on the kidney to expel excess fluid. So there are a lot of things we have to take into consideration with diuretics. 
one of the biggest things is patients hate the fact that they are running to the bathroom all day. Um, and especially for our patients that are really active or they work out in the field, they can't get to the bathroom. A diuretic may not be the best for them because they're going to urinate a lot to get this fluid off. Um, or if they're elderly, we really don't want them getting up a lot at night. It predisposes them to falls. So a lot to consider with all of these um, drugs. For you coming into the clinic, I would if you don't have any allergies and um, no family history of having a reaction to lisinopril or ACE inhibitor, I would most likely start you on a low-dose ACE inhibitor after we talk about diet and lifestyle modification. And that, 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 that comes down to, uh, I bring me down to the question of lifestyle, right? So say, so these medications are after the fact of Correct. lifestyle modifications. What are, what are some of the, so what are the, I come in as a, as a, as a patient, what are some of the lifestyle modifications that someone that may have mm -hmm. prediabetes or um, hypertension, what are some of these things, what are some of the, some of the lifestyle changes that I need to make as a patient? So the first thing as a clinician, I need to get to know my patient, right? So I, um, I get to know my patient in the sense of, I'm asking questions during my interview that are going to expose some of the potential reasons that we're having hypertension and we're having prediabetes. Um, so really getting to know what their diet is like, what, what options do they have around them for food? What community do they live in? Um, and, and, and this is really important for a couple of reasons. So in looking at the state of Maryland, I actually just uh, did a paper on this for my doctorate uh, program. Montgomery County is ranked number one for overall health outcomes. And they have an obesity percentage of about 20% and a food index of 9.5 on a scale of zero to 10. So the higher your number, the more access you have to healthy foods. And then we look at Baltimore, which is ranked number 24 has an obesity rate of 33% with a really low food index of 6.6. .6. So really knowing where, what community you're in and what access you have to healthy food choices is important as a clinician. But it's also important to understand the financial burden of eating well um, and their, the, the patient's knowledge about eating well. Particularly in communities of color, when we gather or when we celebrate, it's usually around food and usually around food that is not the, the healthiest for us. So it's going to take a lot to break um, old and bad habits that are really associated with cultural customs. So I encourage, one, I do a lot of educating. Um, the last thing you want to tell a person is you can't ever have that again, but you make small steps. Okay. Maybe we'll have chicken or maybe we'll have fried food once or twice a week. Um, and then we'll try to work it down. We want you to increase the amount of vegetables you're eating. Um, talking about canned versus fresh vegetables. Um, also looking at what you're drinking. Are we drinking more water? Are we drinking more sodas? Um, so that initial assessment will tell you where you begin. I don't advise making sweeping changes and telling them no sodas, no caffeine, no, you know, cut out all sodium. Um, it, it just sets your patient up for failure. So we initially identify the issue. If it's hypertension, we're going to talk about, let's try to lower your sodium and become a little more active. Um, walking 30 minutes of exercise a day, taking the stairs. Uh, if it's diabetes, we're going to talk about cutting out, um, carbs and sugar and also being more active and encouraging them to keep a diary for at least two weeks and then we follow up from there. A lot of times patients don't even realize how little activity they engage in and how much food or bad food they eat until they write it down and they're like, wow, I had four sodas in a day. Um, so that's something that's really helpful. And I really like the fact that it's so heavily focused on the on the modification of food as medicine and exercise right. as medicine, right? And some of the discussion you were mentioning, those are so powerful for a clinician to take a step back and look at the social determinants of health, the type of food that's available right. in that community, 
at what price at what price as a food affordable can the patient get to right. that, that food? Do they have transportation to that food? So it becomes so much more more than as a clinician, you have to be so thoughtful of the social determinants of health, which sometimes it's not even taught those social determinants of health, mm-hmm. it's sort of new. It's not those are those, those things aren't taught. Um if you had graduated years ago with um, with, with a medical uh, medical degree or your your uh, NP, right? Those are back back in the days, those aren't really really right. taught like that. Because uh, I mean, but now it's it's more amplified. Social determinants of health has become a like we have a sexy right. word, right, in healthcare. Um, um, but it's so essential that the, are you as a clinician, and it's so thoughtful that you t- take that pause and be able to say, okay. There are other factors that affect the patient beyond me telling them, go get this right. thing done. I have to be mindful um, that there are other factors that affect them. And in, in addition to that, I've got to be, I've got to ensure that they have the available resources around them to not set them up for failure, that they really be, are going to be able to, one, follow, 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 your, follow, follow the, the match the the the, the alternate instead of medication follow the alternative way of um, taking care of a better care of themselves. But then the second piece of my question is ensuring there's a community because doing it alone yes. sucks as a patient, right? To so do it alone, and uh, we know we know generally first every year 2020 we have this we have this ambitious goal to lose pounds um, to get in the best shape and if we're not we we set this bar, the bar so high and we don't have consistency consistency or have a, a person that who keeps us accountable in the case you're operating not only as a clinician but operating as a health right. coach as well right that kind of keep you accountable so how do we ensure that we don't set as a patient or um, as a clinician be able to ensure that the patient doesn't set themselves up, yes. up for failure so part of my Part of my conversation with any patient um, that we're looking to initiate lifestyle change with is I'll, I explain to them, I am not 100% in charge of your care. Um, and I'm not just your nurse practitioner. I'm your partner in this. So your health and us meeting this objective of whether it's weight loss or bringing down your A1C is a, it's a partnership. I'm 50% responsible for managing um, certain medications or managing uh, recommendations or testing. And you're my other 50% for actually doing it. And if I fail to meet my obligation or you fail to meet your obligation, we both fail as a team. So it gives them that team spirit. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm partially responsible for this and my clinician is taking some ownership in, in what she needs to do. Um, but the other thing is engaging patients in um, a community, like you said. So a lot of times I have patients who are very successful with Weight Watchers, and I started to wonder why. So I really looked into the Weight Watchers model, and you get like a, you get access to a coach and an accountability partner and an entire community of people where it's partially competitive like I want to do better than her this week but it's also partially like let me check on her and make sure that she's doing okay is she walking is she exercising um, so people need an accountability buddy for my patients that are married for my patients that have children I encourage them to bring their family in on their decision to be healthier and you do it together because you'll have somebody there with you when you want to drink that Coke and, you know, either it's going to be both of you have a Coca-Cola together or one of you says you really shouldn't have that. Um, or going when you go to the gym, developing an accountability partner there, you know, meeting people, introducing yourself to people. That's kind of a line that as a clinician, I can't really cross because of privacy laws. I can't say, well, I've got a patient around the corner who is trying to do something similar, um, maybe I can put you two in contact. I can't do that. But part of what we can do as clinicians in the community is set up community health fairs and events and encourage people from the community to come out and meet with each other. Um, in my own neighborhood, 
we've developed like a walking schedule. So members or community members that want to walk in the morning, they can walk together. And if you don't show up, they'll call you, come ring your doorbell. So just having someone that's going to encourage you, but also have a little friendly competition um, to give you a desire to do better. That's amazing. And I, and I so, I, I so wholeheartedly agree with that philosophy because I think it, that it takes a community to really be able to achieve optimal health. That's what we're doing here with even with InnoCare. So having our model be online where you have, you, have, you, have, you and I were talking earlier, you have partners um, that actually your friends, we we'll call them health tribe in this case, where you are partnering up with your health tribe um, and then in a friendly way being able to say who walks the most steps, right? Right. So who walks the most steps, earn the most points. And then as a, as a way to, to reward you for earning those points, you can actually be able to get discounted prices at your favorite, favorite, favorite healthy, healthy food places. Um, so we've got, we've got a couple of partners here that we partner up that you can get discounted. So that's just like, even though you may not have it, if you're single, you're, sing, you're single and um, you, you just moved to a state, you, you have not made, made, made enough friends yet. There's, there's an online community for that too. Um, it's like that flexibility. But I think one, one of the things that you mentioned too is ownership. Ultimately, it boils down to honesty and ownership. You, yes. The clinician can be, can be so effective but you have to own your own health yes. um, and you have to take control of that. And just the, the clinician is your support system of the gap, the, the knowledge gap, right? Right. Um, they, should, they, should, they, should, they, should, they shouldn't act as, a, as your mother uh, per se. They're just, they're just acting as your, the knowledge gap. To be, hey, if I'm not supposed to be consuming this food, um, finding, finding the, the right nutritionist, right? Because that's right. that, that's that, 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 that's that, that's another component as well. Your clinician is your support system to be able to coordinate the care around. Um, thankfully, our our platform coordinate help coordinate coordinate that coordinate that care. So an NP like yourself can be on the platform and by and picking um with 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 the with the patient with the patients um with the patient get given permission they can be able they can be able able to share share knowledge with um with the nutritionist right. Yes. So the the from the from the PCP, the NP, the the nutritionist, the 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 health coach who can, who is an uh, ASC certified health coach can be a personal trainer as well. They're all talking, right? So that's that coordinated care that's so essential. We're trying to break the myth that happened with the lack of communication and coordinated care that ha- that that usually let let the patient feeling alone and. Um, isolated in, in the in the care system, or or they fall off the crack, right? Um, we want to ensure that, that that doesn't happen. So we 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 said, okay, these are the in, in the clinicians that they need. Um, let them let them communicate. So that's one step of making sure that hey, the patient is been in the hospital. Now the patient is at home. Who's gonna be, be, be who, who are the people that are gonna take care of that patient when they're at home, right? Right. Um, so we're in, we're ensuring of that. So I like that that commu- one is community focused, but it's also having having the right type of clinicians that are a mixture of different knowledge on the one platform, right? To be able to help them stay stay motivated and achieve ultimately achieve their health goals. Absolutely. There was actually a study um, that I read a couple months ago, and it looked at traditional weight loss management through your primary care versus an enhanced weight loss program that involved like a community coach and a nutritionist and frequent visits with the primary care provider. And so the study was done over the course of maybe three and a half years. And they found that patients who, who were enrolled in the enhanced weight loss program, they lost about 21% more weight and also kept their weight off for longer they did see some weight gain back a small amount towards the third year but when they had this entire community around them that involved meeting with the nutritionist um, life coaching visits weekly or every two weeks it encouraged them and and made them a little more accountable in terms of their health uh, to maintain their weight loss and maintain their healthy lifestyles so that's good I mean your exact platform is what the research is showing 
we need to reduce obesity and obesity-related comorbidities is this entire comprehensive weight loss or, or medical coaching program. Um, and unfortunately, in primary care doctor's offices, when they're seeing 15 to 20 to 25 patients a day, it's almost impossible to offer comprehensive weight loss um, or, or health improvement programs. It's, it's just impossible. The time does not allow for it. Um, but when you have a community that's readily, it's easy, easily accessible by the patient from anywhere, the, the research is showing in your favor. And that's what we really need. We, we've got to be innovative in today's world because the challenges that our patients face, they come from everywhere and they don't necessarily fit within a doctor's office for a resolution. So we've got to get innovative in, in making our population much healthier. Absolutely. And um so, so when 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 it, when it boils down to some of the patients that you've treated, what are some of the more complexity? Um, say a patient has been doing really really well, they've been following following their, their treatment plan. Um, what are some complexity that, that that get them to step back? What 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 are some some of the things that causes them back to go? You take three steps ahead, and then and then they are they take three steps back. So what are some of those things that you've noticed across your, your patient population? Definitely work and life changes. Um, so loss of a job or change of a position or an increased demand uh, in working, working hours. Um, personal issues like uh, having a baby or a child going off to college or having marital issues or having issues with children, um, children's school schedule. So a lot of these issues that I see with regression and weight loss is related to time um, and motivation. If you don't have the time or people, some of my patients may perceive the lack in time. I'm so busy with work. I'm so busy with school um, as a reason for not being able to shop for healthier foods or not being able to prepare for healthier food, um, healthier foods to carry with them. So that's when I really start to see um, them to pick, starting to pick back up on weight. Uh, I had a patient, um, for instance, uh, I saw a patient within the last couple of weeks who her shift changed and she went from working day shift to night shift. And in the last four months, she's probably gained about 30 to 40 pounds because she's not sleeping as well. Her food choices are not the best because she's working at night. She just orders something or picks something up on the way to work because she doesn't perceive time in her day to prepare her meal to carry with her. And this is when we, I really get into the coaching part of my job. I, I work, I have a full-time job and then I run my practice um, part-time, which means I'm always busy and I have two children and I'm in a doctorate program. But I make time, 30 minutes out of my day, twice a week, to prepare snacks that I can take with me that are healthy. Um, and when we really get into the gist of, do you have 30 minutes a day to cut up carrots or, or peel an apple and package these a couple times a week? And they say, oh, well, I do. You know, I'm watching the news at this time. You can watch the news and prepare your food. It's just co encouraging them to take the time and invest that time in themselves to really improve their health and eat better. I always encourage my patients, do you work in a building that has stairs? How often do you take the stairs? Are you taking the elevator more? And I tell them taking the stairs, while it may seem like a small thing in the grand scheme of things, it can be a, a bigger improvement in your health, parking further away from the building. So you walk a little bit more exercising for 30 minutes a day is something that can tremendously improve your health. So we got to find ways to be creative and every patient is not going to be the same. Every patient's work schedule is different or access to facilities is different. Um, so you really have to listen to your patient and see what's in their community and what their specific challenges are and help them um, with coming up with reasonable solutions. And that's the, that's the superpower as a clinician that you have, right? Deep listening, not just listening to respond. When a patient feels as though they're heard, they're likely to trust you 
they're likely to open more, open, open, let you let let you in more into their life, and they're likely to take your recommendation um, once they find out you you listen deeply, and as a result, you're just not you're just not just looking to respond, but really listening deeply allows you to be able to prescribe the better solution. Um, I I spoke to a I spoke to someone who owns a company called Networking. Okay. And I think that one of the things that you, you prescribe um, all, um, all your, you prescribe some of the solutions to your, to your patient, if they're in the community, having someone that, that takes take walks and go on and, and, knock, and knock on those um, doors and kind of keep them accountable. So she has a company called Networking, as in N-E-T and then walking. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a community that allows for, you, for people that live in certain communities, and and as well, you can you can you can be in DC, Virginia. She she, she has her company is established in, in DC. Well, you can be in Virginia, Maryland, and um and you can come to this community and engage in walks, um and find out about the historic site, different historic sites. Um, even meet, 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 they will, they oftentimes will take walks to meet um at different um venues business business owner venues right so if your business business owner is at the restaurant they'll go in there have a meal but have a chat with the business owner and then just take take casual walk while you're networking so you're building authentic relationship while staying healthy in a relaxed environment and that's a that's a, a good thing that i'm actually starting to see some of the organizations that i've worked for um, I'm starting to see them do. I, I work for a small hospice organization in, in Calvert County. And during the warmer months at one o'clock or when the office would close for lunch, everybody would, they would mm-hmm. encourage everybody, let's go for a walk. And they would walk around the parking lot or, you know, just to get out engaged. We're not, we're not at work. We can kind of relieve a little bit of stress while getting healthier. Um, and we're starting to see that in some of the hospitals, um, I know University of Maryland Capital Region, which is PG Hospital, as a patient, when you come through, you may see these little stickers on the floor that are footsteps. But what these footsteps are, they're actually a walking track. So employees can Mm. follow these steps that will essentially walk them through the hospital on their break. And once you've completed it, you know you've completed a certain amount of steps throughout the building. So employers are also... Um, very vital in trying to improve the health of their employees. And as for my patients, I ask them, do you know if your employer has a a plan, a program like this? If not, is it something that you feel like you could recommend? Because you can, we spend so much time with our coworkers. You know, I spend more time at work during the day than I spend with my actual family. So essentially they, they're my coworkers, but I spend a lot of time with them and that's time that I could be using to improve my health and gaining an accountability partner and also improving the health of people who I work with. Absolutely. So, and, and, and there, and I'm glad you noticed that because that's, that's where couple wellness is so essential as well in order for you to reduce. And this is where we, 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 we our solution is not only for providers like yourself, but it's also for, or employers and the employees, because then it becomes it becomes corporate wellness. But with with the idea of corporate wellness is, if if you, if our employees stay healthy, they have increased productivity, they're happier, they're gonna be one. They wanna they, they they will want to be able to be more productive at work. So increased productivity, happier employees, they care more about the company and the company's culture. They they're able to meet deadlines as a result of that. So. One thing as well for health plans, health plans, insurance companies, they tend to like that because that means reduce premium, um, which is reduce, reduce, reduce premium means reduce healthcare costs for the, for the employers, right? Yes. So it's like a, a win-win situation. Take care of my employee. If an employee has say, a program like ours here alongside with clinicians, recommend it. Because when you when you do you stay healthy, your your other coworkers buying into buying into the, the solution, it becomes better for not only yourself because you're staying healthy, you're a lot more happier. You spend you may you may you may become you, you will likely become more productive at work, and as a result, it, it reduces that those um healthcare costs, which reduces premium costs for the employers. So everybody wins. Yes. 
one last question for you. So here we we've talked a couple a couple of challenges um, more deeper around health wellness. Um, we wanted to get more towards um, what are some things that you will you will say have been the big biggest challenges for you in your career. And lastly, um, and a follow up question to that is if you what for you to be remembered, what are like the the ah moment, what are your values? Like this billboard, they have to be a billboard place online, uh, a billboard of your of you. What are some things that you want people to remember about yourself? Absolutely. So some of the biggest challenges in my career, like I said, I'm I'm a woman of color and I'm younger, and I feel like because I I'm a woman of color and I'm younger. I've had some challenges with getting people to take me serious in the workplace. Even my patients, I come in and they're like, what is this young girl going to do for me? Um, But getting people to take me serious as a clinician has been a challenge. And again, I've found these three key factors that, um, make people more likely to take me serious and, and understand that, I am very serious about what I do and very serious about improving the health of my community. I am sincere. I am always professional. And I'm always striving to do better and learn more. Um, and, and that really comes into play when there's something that I don't understand. Um, I'm calling a community clinician introducing myself I have I have a question or something I don't understand can you help me with this and that is it's an intro way to developing a relationship a lot of times clinicians as busy as they are they come from an academic setting where they had to learn a lot from somebody who knew a lot and they take that on to enrich both my me my knowledge base and enrich the patient care that I give Um, always being professional. So despite me encountering an, you know, a not, not so professional situation or a not so friendly provider or a not so friendly patient, I'm always professional, always, because I would want a professional be to be the same way with me. Um, so representing myself in the best manner possible. And the more that I'm out in the community, people start to recognize me. I can't tell you how many times I go in the Southeast DC. I go to this one gas station every Sunday to fill up my car and the residents, oh, hey, it's the nurse practitioner. How you doing today? The people at the gas station recognize me. So I'm always in the community and they know my face um, and they know I'm not just a person that's coming here for a time being. I I plan on being here for a while because I want to see my community succeed. I want to see my community be healthier. I want this opioid epidemic to resolve um, and I want to support the community through it. Um, So in terms of a billboard, what I want people to remember me as, that's a good question. Um, I probably, I, I, I would have something simple like I'm here. I'm here for my community. Um, And just that simple. Like I, I want people to know how invested I am in my community. And a lot of my work, I always make time to go back to the school system that I came out of, which is Prince George's County Public Schools. And I go back and I talk to students about where they are now, their goals, where they want to go. Um, I'm, I'm making time for my elderly patients to call, hey, you know, did you get connected with those community resources to get food delivered? How are you doing today? Just to know that I'm not, I'm not a clinician that's just here to make money off the community, but I'm a clinician that wants to see an improvement. Um, and it's very rare that you come across clinicians like that, but we do exist. Um, and when you meet us, you will absolutely know that we are 100% invested in improving the lives of people in our communities. Um, so my billboard would say, I am here. Thank you, thank you so much, um, Richard, for sharing that. Because it it, 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 really, it really is impactful to see explanations like yourself that are truly invested in the community 
And that's what our communities of colors need, where a coalition is not just not going to come and then leave, where there's no continuation of that relationship. Um, and I know for us, even here, in the case of the opioid, we've had issues, um, that continuation of care, but it's so amazing to hear clinicians like yourself that deeply care about the community and want to see um, every patient they come across feel better, do better. Thank you for being on the call today. Thank you. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. And I'm definitely looking forward to your launch and seeing how this is just going to benefit the community. I'm, I'm certain that this is just going to be a wonderful tool for everyone. Our state of well-being decides our rate of productivity. This is why the health of your employees are important to you, like that of an athlete is important to the coach. Even though the access to healthcare is sometimes unaffordable and time-consuming for most people, Marie still cares about her employees' well-being, so she signs everyone up on InnovCares. Innov Cares is a telehealth and wellness platform that brings affordable healthcare services to people wherever they are. Marie's employees do not need to wait in line to book an appointment with a doctor. All they have to do is grab their phone and get connected to a doctor or any healthcare provider at just a few clicks. They have access to health specialists at the very best price and get the very best lifestyle tips to avoid chronic diseases. Matt, on the other hand, is a soccer coach and has all his players signed up on InnovCares. Apart from getting the best healthy lifestyle tips, they get connected to the right healthcare provider in case they get an injury and the recovery process is being followed up. Get rewards, join the health tribe, connect health devices, tick your action list and spend more time with a healthcare team with InnovCares. Download your InnovCares app on Google Play Store or Apple Store now.